4 podcast this week is proudly sponsored by Chris Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Ribera in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25 kilogram sacks for craft brewers and distillers all over the world. They still work one of the last remaining floor maltings in England and use it to make their pioneering heritage malts. They also craft roasted and crystal malts of unprecedented quality on their vertical all-electric tower roasting plants, the only one of its kind in the UK. Check out their website for more information about their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at chrismalt.com. That's chrismalt.com. I'm Nick Law and you're listening to the Hop Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole brewing supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a beer, and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Hello, beer buddies, and welcome to another sesh on the Hot Four podcast. If you're in England, emphatically, it is not coming home. Sorry. I thought they did really well, though, and I thought the England team this year are a great example of how footballers should be. You know, um, you've got Marcus Rashford, obviously, with the school meals for kids, and um, that's the extent of my football knowledge. And Harry Kane, okay, I, I know two football players from the England team. I'm, I'm sure I was the kid at school that wasn't really into football. And I had to sort of fudge my way through supporting Sheffield Wednesday, even though my dad and my brother were Unitedites. I was called the black sheep of the family. And I could, at that time, actually, I could name every Sheffield Wednesday player. Chris Bart Williams, there you go. <laughs> That's And Chris Waddle, I can name two now. I can remember two, but at the time I could name them all. And to be honest with you, I've always I've always just been into American sports more uh, growing up. I was massively into ice hockey and not so much American football. Apologies, American listeners, if you if you listen to this and you're like, what, you don't like football? Yeah, it's a bit of a strange sport. It's kind of like rugby, but with a load of bravado. Kind of like WWF meets rugby is what I think American football is like. And But I've always just liked American things. One of my dreams is to hire a car and drive down the west coast of America, start at Seattle, down to Portland, Oregon, head down towards San Francisco and to LA, then go, go through Colorado and the Rocky Mountains. And then I'm not quite sure where I'd go across the middle, somewhere sort of middle. I don't know if I really fancy going to Texas and south. Although I do quite fancy going to Nashville as a musician. I think that would be pretty cool. And then I won't go down to Florida, Miami, I'm just not that interested, but I would snake my way up. Maybe I know Atlanta, Georgia's kind of southish. I don't know. I quite fancy going to Chicago. Maybe I'd skip the south. Sorry, Brian Parker, if you're listening, because I know you live Nashville-ish way, Mississippi, somewhere. You live down there in America somewhere. You're not in California anymore. Wow, I'm testing my memory, aren't I? Yeah, I'd go back up to Chicago, north, mid area. Didn't do very well at geography, as you can see. And then across to New York, then up to Vermont and Hill Farmstead. See, as you can as you can see, this is a brewery road trip. <laughs> but I love American beer. And I think there's something about American craft beers 
that I really, really like and are just different to UK beers or even European beers. Obviously, I can try a lot of those. You don't tend to get as many fresh American beers over here in the UK. And obviously, there's a massive wealth of breweries in the States and I would love to try a lot of them. So that's the plan. Hire a car. Obviously, don't drink and drive. It's going to be a very, very slow, long trip if I'm driving to town, going to a brewery and stopping over. Maybe a camper van. Maybe you could hire a camper van. But then I have images of Breaking Bad and Morton White. I'm going to I'm gonna park that there, not the camper van, just the idea, and get back to what I was talking about. So yeah, American beers and American beer trends and just American beer in general. Last February, I went to Brew London and I met Lottie Peplow from the Brewers Association for the first time. So Lottie is the UK representative for the Brewers Association of America. And if you don't know Lottie, she's absolutely sound as a pound. And she's really passionate about American beers. And I remember she introduced me, you can go back and listen to the interview I did with her, to American beers, including Cigar City and others that I don't quite remember. I remember the beers tasting great, though. So I've been in touch with Lottie uh, since. She's helped me organised podcast interviews with Sierra Nevada and we've been trying to work on a few others that have not quite come off yet, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. But one help that she did help me arrange was with today's guest, uh, which is Kanaki. Now you might be thinking, what is Kanaki? That is a really good question. And obviously we'll get into that on the podcast shortly. But Kanaki Craft Brewery Collective is a collective of breweries, including Cigar City and Oscar Blues and others that have all grown individually to a certain size, grown both nationally in the US and internationally, for them to come together, join forces, and have more clout when it comes to distribution. And I think this model for breweries is brilliant. I'm not sure why there aren't more breweries here in the UK doing this. We often talk about craft beer taking on the macros, and quite simply, most breweries, even the larger ones that are independent, just don't have the resources, the finances or the clout to do so. So I think what Kanaki are doing is an amazing thing. And obviously that means they can sell a variety of different craft beers from different brewers into different markets. So I'm joined by Jesse Kircherville, the International Business Development Manager for Kanaki Craft Brewery Collective. And we talk about how this collective emerged. We talk about craft beer trends in the USA and how drinking habits have altered since the pandemic. We talk about selling internationally into other markets. And we talk about some of the philanthropic activities that Kanaki do through Candade. Love it, Candade. Where's Bob Geldof when you need him? Where brewers are literally doing good by brewing good and helping kids in disadvantaged areas by building bike and skate parks and distributing water after there's been a national disaster. They're doing really, really great stuff. And I just loved chatting to Jesse. He was a really great guy. So that's what we're chatting about today on the Hot 4 podcast. And I don't know, maybe if you're listening, maybe you should start some kind of collaborative with some other local breweries in your area, in your city or your region, to try and help one another distribute beers, sell beers, whatever. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there as a way that we could support independent brewers and, and see growth in that area. So just before we do crack open today's episode, a bit of a heads up with what's happening with Hot Forward. So podcast is still very much going, but summer is coming. And, you know, we're all going on a summer holiday. We're going where the sun shines brightly. 
We're going where the sea is blue. We've seen it in the movies. So let's see if it's true. Come on, bit of Cliff. Come on, Cliff. If you might be like, what the hell are you on? But in all seriousness, I need a bit of a break over the summer. And in order to keep the podcast fresh, like a well dry hopped double IPA, I think that it needs to have a little bit of a break every so often just for me to press reset, re-energize, start some new conversations with people rather than just like doing it, doing it, doing it, but never getting it done. You know, I want to play the long game in this podcast. A lot of people listen to it and it helps you guys out. And I'm, I'm massively overwhelmed with the amount of feedback I get and the people that enjoy the show. So I'm going to take a bit of a break, but for two more weeks and I'm, I'm ending on a bit more of a somber note on these two weeks. Um, but it's just, it almost feels like the amalgamation of my thoughts. So next week I'm joined by Siobhan Buchanan, aka British Beer Girl and head brewer of Coalition Brewery, Charlotte Cook, to talk about sexism and toxicity in the workplace and bullying and just the junk drawer and myriad of crap that women have to endure, not just in the beer industry, but in life. And actually, I find it really heartbreaking talking to them. I've got two daughters and I think, man, is this what they're going to have to put up with when if they like craft beers like I do? You know, they're already interested. They already, they already want to smell it. My oldest one wants to taste it. It's not quite there yet, but... They're already interested by the different cans and aromas and everything. And I know they'll be into the beer scene like I am. And I want to see change. So I wanted to offer that forum for Charlotte and Siobhan to come on the podcast and just chat. So that's next week. And then I'm going to round off the season, wait for it, with a discussion with Danny from McColl's Brewery about mental health. This is a subject that's really close to my heart because I've been struggling with mental health for a while, but it's particularly come to light over the last few months and I know I'm not alone in that. And I'm, not, I'm pretty confident that a good portion of my listeners listen to this feel the same. And it's that kind of thing that you never quite feel like you can come out with. And again, if you're British and someone's like, how's it going, mate? The answer's always, oh, good, mate, you. You know, it's, it's never like, I'm really crap. So I want to address that. I know we've done an episode uh, with Paul from Cloudwater on this before. Um, it's the most listened to episode of the Hop Forward podcast, <laughs> the second being all about cleaning. So you can take whatever you want from that about the brewing industry, mental health and cleaning are the two most listened to episodes of this podcast. Draw whatever conclusions you want from that data. That's coming up at the end of July. Then I'm off north to the sea, up to Bamburgh, which is my spiritual home. One day I'm going to retire, hopefully early, and set up a brewery up there at Sea Houses or somewhere in Northumberland and just okay-age things, spontaneously fermented things by the sea and be happy. That's the dream. So that's where it's going. August will be a bit of downtime for the show. Go outside and play. Go to the pub, do something. Just... Tune back in September. <laughs> anyway, in the meantime, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode with Jesse from Canarchy. But before you do, it's time for all the usual necessary blurb. If you like the Hot Forward podcast, then follow us on all the socials at Hot Forward Beers. Subscribe to the show and leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify and all of the good podcasting platforms. And visit our website, hotforward.beer, to connect with us and find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business with branding and creative media for breweries, bars, bottle shops, and supply chain businesses. 
The Hot Four podcast this week is proudly sponsored by Chris Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Rybra in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25 kilogram sacks for craft brewers and distillers all over the world. They still work one of the last remaining floor maltings in England and use it to make their pioneering heritage malts. They also craft roasted and crystal malts of unprecedented quality on their vertical all-electric tower roasting plant, the only one of its kind in the UK. Check out their website for more information about their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at chrismalt.com. That's chrismalt.com. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Jesse Kirschival, International Business Development Manager for Canarchy Craft Brewery Collective. Hello. Hello, Nick. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate your time. Yeah, no worries. So first off, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're up to and how you got involved in the brewing industry? And then tell us a bit about how you ended up at Canarchy. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Um, so I'll dig more into the Canarchy stuff in a minute. I think we'll we'll talk to that point uh, quite a bit. But um Basically, you know, I am the international business development manager for Canarchy. All that means is that I do everything outside of America. So right, any okay. sales, marketing, export, logistics, it's a lot less sexy than it sounds. I do a lot of documentation for export. You know, I mean, um, <laughs> that's got to be a barrel of laughs. laughs. That goes into it. It's important, but, uh, you know, somebody's got to do it. So, yeah. um, I've been at Canarchy for three years. I actually started as Oscar Blues uh, Brewery, and that quickly became Canarchy as, as it grew into the multiple brands. Um, I got into beer. You know, my boss has always said that there's two ways people generally get into the beer industry. Either it's a you know love of the people and wanting to work more with those people or a love of the liquid. And I'm definitely the latter. Um, I lived in Japan for for 12 years in a former life. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and when I was in Japan, after about three years, I just could not get an American IPA to save my life. And it was killing me. Um, and so I somebody handed me Charlie Papazian's book um, and I jumped right into to homebrewing. Yeah. Just fell in love with it, head over heels, got in touch with a, a really great group of local guys who are making fantastic homebrews. And they really schooled me on how to do it. And so in, in just, Japan. Uh, in Japan, um, where technically it's illegal to produce alcohol over 1%, uh, even if you're not selling it. Not like the police are going to shut you down, but the, the tax people want to be paid their taxes when the beer is yeah. produced. Um, so it's it's definitely uh, on the DL uh, in Japan. But So it, it took me a minute to find this good crew of people. But after I did, it was just, yeah, I mean, full speed ahead. I just fell completely in love with the, the beer and understanding how it was made, got into, you know, getting some awards, got my BJCP uh, beer judge certification program, um, and then Cicerone certification. Um, and after I got that, you know, I really thought I wanted to be a brewer. Um, after I really got into Cicerone, I started to understand what I really loved about beer was not just making it, it was sharing with people and really understanding how to get that beer to people the best way with the best quality. That that drove me even more than I than I had expected. Yep. Just um, going going back to the Japan sure. thing. So um if if it's illegal to make alcohol over one percent in Japan, like where did you get the ingredients to make beer from? 
So you can actually buy ingredients pretty much anywhere. There are main street stores called, you know, there's one called Tokyo Hands that actually sells beer kits for making it at home. It, it's this very sort of strange overlapping of the laws. Um, make something that was 0.5%. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. It ended up as a 7% IPA. Sorry. <laughs> I'll do better next time. <laughs> so they right. can't really pin it on you. <laughs> okay. Wow. Um, but there are there are some fantastic companies. If you happen to be listening to this in Japan, there are some great companies that sell malts, hops, uh, all imported. They sell it to the breweries, but also you can kind of get in touch with them through homebrewer groups and manage to get a, a sack of grain that you can share with friends and split that up. Wow. Okay. I mean, that's amazing. So, I mean, like, <laughs> how, how did you end up at Kanaki then? So, like, um, for, so uh, following on from being in Japan. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I say this just to, to any people out there who are interested in getting into beer. You know, I, I really did have to work for it. You know, I, I got my certification. I really understood what it, what it entailed. It wasn't just drinking a lot of beer. It's really understanding how to take care of the beer and how to get it out to people. Um, and just through that understanding, I started volunteering at a lot of beer festivals. Met some fantastic folks at a company called Nagano Trading, which is an import distribution company in Japan, bringing in American craft beers. Um, I was one of their biggest customers. And so, you know, just actually started working for them. Um, and then, you know, as an English speaker, I'm also a Japanese speaker. I could sort of bridge those two communities. And they asked me to move to their uh, American office, which is in Los Angeles, which is where I am now. Um, so I, when I joined their American office, I started selling 20 different brands of American craft beer to 14 different countries. So I was selling beer to Korea, Japan, UK, Australia, you name it. Um, and I was selling beer from Sierra Nevada, Stone, New Belgium, you know, all these fantastic breweries. I just had mm. such a great opportunity. One of those was Oscar Blues. Um, so when Oscar Blues was looking for someone international to really, you know, be able to understand all those markets and all the export and all the distribution, I raised my hand, said, hey, I would love to work more closely with the supplier side. And uh, here I am. Amazing. Bill, I mean, well, I mean, tell us about Kanaki because... Um... As we said before we hit record, um, our mutual friend Lottie Peplo from the Brewers Association sort of hooks us up. Um, so t today, literally, as I was researching some questions for this podcast, is the first time I came across Kanaki. Um, so ju just for the benefit of our listeners, what is what is it and what space does it fill in the craft beer market, in it, both in the USA and beyond? So Kenarchy, if you look at our website, the best way to describe it is a disruptive collective of like-minded breweries. Um, an easier way to explain it is really just a family of independent breweries. It's, it's a way for independent breweries to stay independent, but stay relevant and continue to grow. Mm. So I'm glad that you've never heard of Canarchy, to be completely honest. We don't really want people to buy Canarchy beer necessarily. We want people to buy Oscar Blues beer. We want you to wear a Cigar City t-shirt. You know, this is really what the really the ethos and the, the branding and um, really what, what we want to share with people. Canarchy is, is really a, a platform. Um, you know, when Joey Redner and Cigar City joined in a Canarchy, they needed to grow the brewery. And if you need to grow your brewery to keep up demand, you need to throw millions and millions of dollars at it to buy the stainless steel, to buy all the capacity to be able to grow and really get out there and, and get that beer to more people so that you can sell more beer and make more money and then invest more money in it. So it's really, really difficult to stay independent, which is why, as you're painfully aware in the UK, many, many breweries will join macro breweries that will be acquired because that's the only way to, that's the only exit strategy. And it's the only way to really grow your brand that you love. So this provided, Kenarchy provides another alternative to that. You can join a collective of other breweries 
get that investment. We do have a, an investment group behind us, which does actually give us the capital and the ability to grow financially. But then you're actually joining a group of other independent breweries. So you get, you know, now as, as Kenark, we've got seven craft breweries. We are still independent as defined by the Brewers Association. We're not any connection with any macro breweries or anything like that. But what you get is now we have buying power. We can buy hops together. We can buy malts together. We have great relationships with those suppliers. We buy cans and paperboard together. And then we also have knowledge sharing. So all the technology and the processes that are working well across the group, we can share those. And, and everybody really does better because of that. Um, beyond that, it's a it's distribution platform. So for any distributors, you know, we have a, a fantastic distributor in the UK called James Clay Beers. James Clay is great. And, you know, they, they want to bring over fresh Cigar City beer. They want to bring over fresh Oscar Blues beer. To fill a refrigerated container, you need 18 to 20 pallets of beer. If you bring all that over at once and you're going to be selling it for the next three, four months, it's not fresh anymore. So I would much rather give you two or three brands from us, fill that container with smaller quantities, do it more often, and then the consumers will get fresher beer with more variety. So it, it really works out at, at many different levels. And again, what we really want those consumers to see, everybody to see is, is the brands. So Canark is really the backbone behind that to make sure that everything can continue to grow, but stay independent. Okay. So, I mean, like, how did it start off? I mean, you mentioned Oscar Blues. Was it something that Oscar Blues initiated originally? Or, I mean, and it, and it went from there? Or Yeah, it, it's absolutely Oscar Blues. And actually, the name of Canarchy before it became Canarchy was Oscar Blues Holdings. Um, Canarchy, you know, it's a name that many people, I think, uh, mispronounce or get wrong or whatever it is. It's just, you know, we're disrupted. We're trying to basically create anarchy within the system. We're trying to break up this macrobrewer situation, mm -hmm. try to break up this distribution um, and really give people something new. But also, we 100% believe that cans are by far the best vessel in the packaging for, for beer. So can and archie. But um, really, Dale Katechis, the founder of Oscar Blues, has awesome relationships with so many brewers, you know, around the country and around the world. Um, he's just been in the business for a very long time. And so many people will come to him and just ask for advice. You know, we, the very first one was Perrin in Michigan, Perrin Brewing Company. Um, you know, the, the owner of Perrin Brewing was trying to expand and trying to decide, should I invest more in this business? Is this something that can continue to grow? Is this a smart investment? And going to Dale, Dale was encouraging him saying, yes, do it, go for it. This is very much a growth opportunity. And his response was, okay, let's do it together. If you're so sure you invest in my company, let's do this thing together. And that's really where it started. So Dale said, you know, how can we do this? We create a holdings company. Now I've got Oscar Blues and Perrin. We can sort of share in this risk and share in the growth as well. Um, and that's really where it started, but it just continued to grow from there. Wasatch and Squatters in Utah, we're already creating a collective in Salt Lake City to be able to help each other. They joined in. Um, and then Cigar City, that was a perfect match as well. And the more recent ones are, are Deep Bellum Brewing Company in Dallas, Texas. And then Three Weavers Brewing Company here in Los Angeles, California. Okay, so it it, it sounds almost like it's almost like a record label, almost. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, it, it, but not but not quite. I mean, I'm quite intrigued by this because I mean, do, do you think that the model of collectives under one brand, like Canarchy, for example, is something that we're going to see more of in the USA to increase the sort of selling and marketing promotion and, and distribution power of craft beer because like as you say it's so expensive running a brewery and, and growing a brewery um that and and as you rightly pointed out 
a lot of the time people end up selling up to macros because they've got the financial clout and all those things in place. Do you think you're going to see more breweries cobbling together their collective resource, particularly when they hit a size of like Cigar City or Oscar Blues, in order to be able to to capture more market share and just have basically just have more power collectively, for want of a better word? Yeah. You know, I, I wish I had an answer for that. I, I fully believe that there were going to be more of these. Um, you know, really, Kenarchy was... I don't know if honestly if it was the first, but it's definitely the the, the first big one that's really been very successful and, and shown great growth. Um, there is artisanal brewing ventures. This is another group of, of fantastic breweries that's done very well. I think they've shown the model that that does really work. But I can't honestly think of a, a lot of other groups that are like this without some sort of macrobrewery uh, ownership or, or piece in it. So I think it incredibly, I think it's very logical. I think it works very well. So I would really expect to see more if not in America, then, then around the world. Um, yeah, but I can't think of a lot of examples. Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting because I know there are some breweries in the UK that are starting to um, partner with American breweries to bring beers over. So a brewery mm-hmm. like Cloudwater have brought over mm-hmm. Allagash um, mm-hmm. or uh, Neon Raptor, who are a smaller outfit based in Nottingham or just outside Nottingham, bringing over Collective Arts. And there are a few other breweries in the UK that um, basically act as wholesalers as well. Um, for other breweries so over here you're starting to get that a little bit um yeah. but yeah I'm, I'm surprised that in the usa there's not quite you know because it's such a big country as well there's not yeah. more of these yeah absolutely and and you know the U, the us is very unique in that we've got this three-tier system you know the yeah. uk you can be a brewery and you can import and then you can sell direct whereas in the states you must you are required over a certain size to have a distributor so I cannot bring over Cloudwater beer, you know, and give that directly to an account. It would have to touch, at least touch the docks of the distributor and then go from there. So certainly we, we have that um, benefit, but also that hindrance, I think, in the States where it, it, it makes it a little bit different. Yep. So, I mean, let, let's talk about craft beer trends in the USA. I mean, it's, it's sure. no surprise, obviously, that sales were down in 2020 than in previous years because of the pandemic. But how has the pandemic altered people's buying beers and, and their drinking habits over the last, what was it now, 14, 15 months? I've never lost track of time. Yeah. Might, might as well be 10, we 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we'll laugh about it at some point. Maybe we yeah, forget yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> it's been the weirdest of years. Um but, you know, I have to say, you know, we're so overall craft beer in the U.S. is flat. Really, there, there's been not much change. 2020 was was not growth, but not not horribly down. Mostly, um, you know, I think the top 20 total beer suppliers were down in America. Canarchy, luckily, we were up two percent last year, just over two percent. Um, so it, it was a very challenging year. The biggest changes were, you know, traditionally, we've been 80 percent packaged beer, 20 percent draft. And that just fell off a cliff um, in the middle of nowhere and in, in, uh, as soon as the pandemic started. So we expected to be about 20% down. Luckily, the, the big change was that people, I'm sure you've heard, people are drinking at home instead of at bars and restaurants and, and on trade really just tanked. But the biggest change we saw were that 12 packs and variety packs just went through the roof. Um, you know, People were really only shopping at supermarkets in the States. It was the one place you felt comfortable to leave your home, go get food for your family and come back home. So if you're in line and you can just quickly grab a 12 pack, especially a variety pack, get a little bit more variety in there. Those were hundred percent where, where all the focus went to. And that's really where a lot of our sales growth came from. Um, so it's been that packaging format. In addition, you can't talk about trends in the States without talking about hard seltzers. 
Um, they're here to stay. It's an absolute force to be reckoned with. They are, you know, very easy drinking, very refreshing. In the States, almost all of our hard seltzers are brewed like beer from cane sugar. Um, they're not mixed with distilled spirits and, and such as you'd find in, in many other countries, but um, they're just absolutely taking off and uh, continue to be a, a growth area. And then, you know, on top of that, we now have hard lemonade and hard twisted teas and, you know, things like this. So Hard lemonade. I, do you, I don't know if you remember, um, do you remember Ooch? It was a brand in the 90s. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I, I mean, think that started the whole thing, the yeah, Uncle Pop. Yeah, Alcapops, that's it, yeah. It's all gone full circle. You know, I just, I think that was my first alcohol experience drinking one of those (laughs) when I was about 14 or something. Yeah, crazy times. I mean, (laughs) the the hard seltzer thing is just, I mean, it boggles my mind personally. I've I've only ever had one, so maybe I've not got any, a a good comparison. (laughs) I I just, I I was just like, I just don't stand it personally. But, you know... And I, I speak to many people who feel the same way. You know, I gave some of our uh, Oscar Blues Wild Basin is our, our biggest brand by far. It's 5%, got some fantastic flavors. Um, I gave some to our distributor in Korea and they love it. It's done really well in Korea. It's actually really taking off. We gave some samples to our Italian distributor and they laughed. I mean, they were like, why would anybody drink this? What is this? Um, so, you know, it's definitely personal preference. In the UK, you know, you're starting to see more and more of them. And, I, and um, I've spoken to several folks who think that all the trends sort of stopped when the pandemic started. And now that now that the pandemic is easing back a bit, trends are starting to back up again, uh, speed up again very rapidly. And so there is a chance you may see more hard seltzers in the UK. Um, but I, I should quickly uh, transfer as well before, before we get off the topic. So let's talk about beer. Um, trends, and this is not just in the US, I think this is pretty much globally for American beers. I can say IPA is still very much king. Yeah. Um, but when you break down, I mean, IPA is 43% of sales of beer in America. I mean, it's insane. But when you break those down, West Coast IPA, traditional IPAs are, are down. Hazy IPAs are still very much up. Um, we're still talking about hazies. They're still, you know, really um, creating a lot of those trends and creating a lot of that uh, innovation as well. Um, you know, hazies now is is becoming its own category. And you've got of course, this very interesting ester profile, very hot forward, very low bitterness. But even within that, you're seeing differences in how people are creating that, um, you know, grist, whether it's using a lot more oats or keeping it a lot more simple with the proteins and whether it's more sort of new world hops, Australian and New Zealand hops, or more sort of traditional uh, piney resinous hops that are mixing very interesting ways with those new hazy ester profiles. So yeah, got a lot of innovation just within the IPA. Yeah, funnily enough, over here in the UK, although you know hazy IPAs, you know, are still fairly big, there seems to be a little bit more of a resurgence towards West Coast IPAs again and old school mm-hmm. IPAs. It's interesting because I mean, I prefer West Coast than the sort of East Coast ones, um, but yeah, I mean, I would cer- certainly agree that IPA is just it just dominates everything. Um, yeah, that that's you know that's really what we see. We've got our Oscar Blues Canada Bliss uh, series is not. It's not all hazy. We've got uh, Cannibalist Tropical IPA, Cannibalist Hazy IPA, and then Cannibalist Citrus IPA. But really, a, a lot of the buzz really is around our hazy version, which is the one that's out right now during the summer months. Um, and, you know, Cigar City Highlight IPA has always been our, our flagship beer. Um, it's not an it's not a West Coast IPA. It's not a hazy. It's mm. it's what you call a Tampa IPA. It's got a, a little bit of haziness to it and a lower bitterness. But um, a lot of our new beers as well, our our Cigar City Fancy Papers Hazy IPA is doing 
fantastically. People just love that sort of peach mango notes to it and the lower bitterness. It's, uh, yeah. it's great. Um, so with, with Kanaki, how do breweries end up being part of the collective? Is that something that's very exclusive or it's it, again, using the record label analogies, it's like someone can send in their, not their demo tape, obviously, but you know, brewery can send their cans in and you develop a relationship with them and find out whether you want to work with them. Like, how does that work? Yeah, that's, I mean, honestly, that's a great uh, metaphor. I think, or a very great simile. It's very similar to um, music industry in this way. You know, honestly, it's, it's, it's not like Kinarchy is out there searching for new partners. Generally, we have lots of people contacting us and it's more of a filter. Um, so it's, it's great that people want to join. Basically, if you, if you want to join Kinarchy, all you do is reach out and have a conversation and talk about what would make sense. Um, you know, traditionally, all the breweries that are in Kinarchy now have generally bought into Kinarchy. Um, if you buy into Kinarchy, you're then sharing all the equity in your company and you gain equity in Kinarchy and now you're part right. of the collective. Okay. Yep. Um, it could be something different going forward. It could be a joint venture. Um, it could be a partnership. It could be a new business spinoff between the two businesses. There's, there's many different ways I could see this, but um, Kanarchy is still very much in growth phase. Um, there's no reason to, to assume that that's going to stop or slow down anytime soon. We now have breweries pretty much across America, but you'll see that you know there are parts, the Northwest, New England, uh, California is giant. Um, you know, we, we certainly need more footprints in there, but we have a lot of breweries. We've got a lot of brands right now. We've even just, you know, we started a, a company called Revitalite, which is an electrolyte solution, which is fantastic for hangovers. And so we sell it in the beer aisles right next to beer. And it's going right. really, I really see, well. I saw that on your website. I was like, I'm not quite sure what that is. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it, it's, it's a sports drink for athletes, of course, but it's also, um, it's compared to Pedialyte, which is something that you would give to kids for when they're dehydrated, but generally people in the States, when you have a hangover, you would drink Pedialyte, but you got to go to the children's aisle to go find the Pedialyte. And it's a bit embarrassing with a horrendous hangover. So now you can just go to the beer aisle, get your beer, get your Revitalite and away you go. So there's, there's a lot of things that we have right now that we're looking at and our, all of our salespeople have a lot of arrows in their quiver, but it's a lot. So if we're going to add more, it's got to be something really attractive, really um, stunning and, and something that our consumers demand. Yeah. If uh, you're hungover in the UK, just sort of dust it off with a full English breakfast. <laughs> exactly. Sausages, bacon, beans, eggs, <laughs> job lot. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to part that one there. I'm not, that's that what we have in a full English could just open up a whole can of worms and a debate online, <laughs> you know, so I might lose tens of thousands of subscribers. Um, if I mention any, any, anything else that should or shouldn't go on that dish. So moving swiftly on. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're, obviously your role's international and exports and, and everything. Thing. Like so, we're working internationally, like selling beers into other markets, such as the UK, for example. What what are some of the challenges of introducing and promoting American brands elsewhere around the world, especially when often the allure of craft breweries is associated with a particular location, and it's usually one that's relatively local to the customer. So, you know, um, I mean, I've had um, what is it, Jarl? Is that what it's called? Uh, cigar. Highlight. How do you pronounce it? It's pronounced Hi-Eli, like hi, Hi-Eli. Hi-Eli. Hi, oh, wow. Hi, okay. That's okay. Hi-Eli. So two different words. Hi-Eli. Hi-Eli. Um, it's a sport um, called Hi-Eli from Spain, but but we get a lot of people saying Jai-Eli, Jolly-Ali, whatever, you name it. Um, but yeah, Hi-Eli IPA. <laughs> okay. So you get the, the the IPA that should not be named. <laughs> well, I'm not going to, I'm I'm just going to leave that in. I'm, I am, um, yeah. Um, I'm sure my listeners are familiar with the way I pronounce certain 
things <laughs> completely wrong, so that's fine. Um, but but with a beer like that, um, you know, which which is a great beer, like it might not have the same pull to me as a consumer because I'm I'm not in America, I'm not as familiar with it with the brand. Um, whereas you know, over here, if I go in a bottle shop and even if I'm not come across a brand before, it might be like, well, they're from I don't know the next town over or whatever. Like, how how do you navigate that when you're selling? so far to try and really sort of increase sales elsewhere across the world? You know, it's, it's a great question. I think about this very often. And I, I, first of all, I just want to say that local is always going to be everyone's priority. Local Mm. breweries are your neighbors. You have to support them. It's very important. You will always go for a local hero first And, and that's as it should be. Um, but there's also that opportunity for trying something new and getting into the, some innovation and, and collaboration. You know, I'm here in California. We have no shortage of fantastic craft breweries and beers that I can get in my supermarket or right near my house. But I've also got fantastic British beers. I've got Belgian beers. I've got German beers. And I personally believe that there's a place for American craft beers everywhere in the world, right next to your locals. You know, I would just ask that try your local, support your local, make sure that you've got that piece. But if you're going to have a second or a third beer, please try an American beer as as something new. You know, we've got a lot of reasons that the American IPA really took the craft beer industry by storm. Not that it's the end all be all of craft beer around the world, but it's something that's, you know, become very attractive for a lot of people and it it raised the awareness of, of craft beer. Those American IPAs can be brewed anywhere, but Ideally, you're making them, you know, in most cases, I think you're making them with American hops. We've got the American hops here. We've got fantastic relationships with our suppliers. We know exactly what we're getting. We're not just getting centennial hops. We're getting a very specific centennial hop that has a very specific flavor profile that we want for that flavor in Dale's Pale Ale. And we can get that into the beer with almost zero oxygen, and we can make sure that it gets over to you as fresh and as as well taken care of as possible. So you're able to really experience that American IPA in its authentic, generic, uh, you know, genuine form. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's very important to have both, and you know, we're also trying to collaborate and really have our brewers visit England, visit other places around the world, and do the collaboration brewing experience because we're then bringing processes, technologies, ingredients, and ideas from America and pairing those with local breweries. And then you're able to get, you know, see what Oscar Blues is about, see what Cigar City is about from your local brewery. And then your local brewery is coming over here as well. And then we're able to have some British, you know, style beers or interesting collaborations in, in Tampa. You know, Highlight, you mentioned Highlight IPA from Cigar City. Um, our brewer, uh, Wayne Wambles, was over at Thornbridge and we made a high jai, jai high, whatever you want to call it. It was a sort of a, a, a play on jai, their Jaipur IPA and our uh, Highlight IPA. And so it was a very interesting collaboration IPA. And then Wayne also went over to Siren um, and made the Caribbean chocolate cake um, stout. So, oh, you know, we've yeah, some yeah. great collaboration. This is what craft beer has always been about, is collaboration. Mm. I she think- did one with the Northern Monk, didn't you, for the um, Dark mm-hmm. City Beer Festival? So I, I remember yeah. meeting the brewer there um, yep. and um, we, we tried recording him on the podcast. I mean, this is like, if anyone wants to nice. back to its episode and before, and like, um, they had like a death metal band playing. So literally like, <laughs> you know, we, we got one question in, it was like, and it's like, <laughs> thanks for your time, mate. We'll leave it there. But um, there was the, 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 the broods, I think it was like a pumpkin something or other. And it was, huh. I think it was one of the best beers I had at that festival. It was fantastic. That's great. 
I don't remember that. There's been so many. This is the other thing too. I mean, our, our head brewer from Oscar Blues, who's now our actual Canarchy uh, VP of Brewing Operations, Tim Matthews and Wayne Wambles. I mean, they they love the UK. They love visiting maltsters and really getting geeked out on the process and the suppliers and getting in that relationship. And then of course, going to get hops in France and Germany and really those those traveling opportunities have generated opportunities for them to go to breweries and do collaborations. And I think that's what it's all about. So yeah, for sure. You need to have your local beer. But you got to try other stuff too. So yeah, get some American beers. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I I do love American IPAs, like actual genuine American IPAs, um, you know, because I always think they carry a, a certain flavor that I don't think that British brewers get when they brew an American style IPA, you know, like with Mosaic and Citroen Simcoe. It's, it tends to be over here a very... Um, I don't want to use the word like a clean flavor. It's, it's the very, very, they're almost very crisp and obviously very citrusy. And, mm. and, um, and when I say sharp, I don't mean sharp, like you would get with a, a grapefruit. Um, sure. just I, spiky is how I'd like to sort of, you know, describe them. Uh, whereas American IPAs, I always think that there's a lot more, there's a bit more residual sweetness to them. And uh, mm. and more more multi backbones to them, and I I you know I think they're great, and it's um but like you say that the logistical challenge often, unfortunately, and and is getting them over here in small enough quantities so that they are fresh because actually you know it's yeah. I think when the certain brands are sat on supermarket shelves you know the big supermarkets for months on end you know it's not quite the same as drinking something that's literally two or three weeks old and is had the cold chain for the for at least for the most part of the journey and that's Absolutely. that's re that's really sad i remember when um last i say last year when is it again we're into entering the twilight zone as far as time's concerned it was a, <laughs> yeah. a, a festival called brew london which is where i, I oh, met yeah. lottie for the first time and she um we were talking about american beers and she introduced like literally like loads of cans oh, have this have this have this and you know having all these american beers i was just blown away by them they were fantastic right. That's great. And if I may, just a small tangent on that. Yeah, um, you know, I really like to say freshness is not a date. It's a taste. And often, you know, we, we get criticism because, you know, we've, we've got our American beers, we've shipped them across, you know, the ocean, they've made it into distribution, and they are six weeks old at the freshest you can possibly have them. Maybe four weeks, maybe we can cut that down. But in general, yeah, they're six to eight weeks old. That doesn't mean they're not fresh. Uh, we're, we're, very, very careful about making sure we only work with partners who keep everything cold. It's 100% cold from the moment it leaves our docks to when it gets into your retailer. Hopefully, your retailer is keeping it cold for you as well and keeping a small enough stock that you can get it fresh. And our canning lines are absolutely fantastic. There's little to no oxygen in there. Cans don't let in oxygen. They don't let in light. So there is still a very strong chance that our IPA, which is six weeks old, is fresher than one that was brewed near you three weeks ago because there's a very different quality and level of, you know, uh, packaging ability or technology involved. So yep. really, you know, trust your taste buds, not just the date on the can. Yeah. Oh, I think that's such a good point. And that term freshness gets banded around so much, particularly by beer nerds on social media, you know, where oh, this, is, this is three weeks old. It's, you know, th three weeks old. Uh, and, oh, well, I'm not drinking that. It's not fresh anymore. And, and like you say, there's a misunderstanding because the, I mean, the the quality control, as you say, 
um, at breweries like Cigar City and Oscar Blues are going to be far outstrip, um, you know, a lot of small breweries that just don't have access to the, that kind of technology. Um, right. But I, you know, I also think as well, um, you know, some some beers aren't better when they're just fresh off the packaging line. Sure. And yeah. um, I remember brewing. Um, it was like a a session IPA, if, if such a thing actually exists. Again, that's a, a, a debate <laughs> for another time. But it was like a three point eight percent mini IPA, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really heavily dry hopped, and you know the it was utterly fantastic. But the the aroma dissipated probably within about four weeks in bottle. Yeah. It didn't last long that intense aroma. But that beer after that had this mature quality to it. Mm. that just even even months later and it was bottle conditioned um but even months later i was still drinking it and although it wasn't from an aroma point of view a shadow on what it was it was it, it was better in some ways because it had this more rounded yeah. floral kind of quality to it uh but again it's people just kind of hear the buzzwords often um yeah. and th- throw the beer out with the bathwater. I agree. I agree. I think people just need to trust their taste buds and, and understand that, yeah, beer is a living, breathing, you know, thing. It, it uh, can to evolve in the package and sometimes that's good and sometimes it's bad, but yeah, but yeah, you definitely got to look out for those beers that are going to grow. Yeah. So talk to us about Candade, which by the way, is just the best pun name ever. Um, <laughs> so, so obviously that operates throughout a, a America, uh, but tell us for our listeners what it is. And then can you give some examples of craft brewers that are doing good by brewing good? Absolutely. Um, you know, I have to read the numbers from the website. I, I think this is just critical just to really get the idea of what, what candidate is. I mean, so, okay, so the basics are is that Candate is a nonprofit organization. Um, to date, since 2013, they've raised $6.3 million to fuel these programs, recycled 72 million cans, built 6,610 bikes and skateboards, and donated 2,505 instruments for deserving youths, and donated over 1.9 million cans of water to communities post-disaster. Um, Candate is this, this amazing group that's, that's very broad. Um, it, it started from Oscar Blues, hence the name, and hence the, the relationship with Canarchy. So the initial, um, the woman, the executive director who started it, Diana Ralston, is actually used to work at Oscar Blues Brewery. And the first three people actually used to work at Oscar Blues Brewery. So it did come out of that. Um, and the first program was actually when Lions, Colorado, where Oscar Blues started, was flooded mm-hmm. in 2013. They were able to actually get the nonprofit started get everything going so that Dale Katechis, our founder, could walk down the street and lines, write checks to businesses who were flooded and needed to get back on their feet. It was an amazing thing. Um, and that was really where it started. But now it's it's a, a whole number of programs. And as of last year, we actually had programs across all 50 states um, for the first time ever. So it's it's become quite large now. Um, it's not only Oscar Blues, it's not only Canarchy anymore. It is a separate entity. Um, there are other partners like Merrill, the shoes and apparel. There's you know, DHL, there's Ball Corporation who does all the cans. So there's, there's quite a number of, of very large partners now who are part of that, that donation and support. But basically what Candidate does is they're people-powered. So they organize volunteers for these programs. A lot of them, as we mentioned, are, you know, just getting kids outdoors off of the screen. Give them, you know, give them a bike, give them a skateboard, get them out, get them doing more exercise. And, and that's really what, what Oscar Blues really started as. You know, many people 
you know, describe Oscar Blues as an outdoors company with a beer problem. I mean, we're all mountain biking, surfing, <laughs> name it. Um, so it, that was near and dear to our heart, plus the musical instruments, just understanding how much music enriches children's lives. And, and a lot of, you know, we can say underserves youth. Um, there's something called Title I schools in America, which are generally in uh, lower income communities. They don't necessarily get the support they, they need to be able to be at the same level um, from federal or state programs. So it's really up to companies and nonprofit organizations to step up and, and help where possible. So we can actually get a a brewery, local distributors, um, and actual volunteers and people to just build bikes. I mean, that's really what's needed is just the actual handwork to put these bikes together piece by piece and then give them out to children um, who would never otherwise have a way to get out of their house or get out of their community. So um, it's a whole number of things. <laughs> well, I mean, that's amazing. And, um, you know, I was, I was thinking today as I was out in the car, uh, going to get those um, brew supplies uh, about when I was growing up at school um, there was a recording studio it had like a eight track reel to reel. And, um, I remember asking the teacher on a regular basis. It was not almost every day if I could go in and record after school. So there were times where I wouldn't get home until like tea time, um, or dinner, whatever you call it in the States. Um, <laughs> because I basically I was, I was recording and I, and I think like how much of an impact that has made on my life having that opportunity to go in and make music and, and learn how to produce things and so on. Obviously, obviously I'm doing a podcast now and I'm, I'm reaping the rewards of, of that kind of music tech in another way. And it's, yeah, it's amazing how something so simple as like, yeah, here's a bike or, yeah. or whatever it can just make to a kid's life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I should also mention the the cans of water as well on top of this. I mean, there's been so many communities that have been hit by, by floods, hurricanes, you name it. Um, and as a brewery that's got fantastic canning lines running 24 seven, we can can a lot of water very quickly. Um, and then companies like DHL or, or uh, we had an airlines company as well, partner with us to actually fly it out there for free. So we've got the water, they've got the airlines, we get out there to communities that don't have, you know, fresh drinking water, that stuff has to be there you know, you don't go long without fresh drinking water. So um, yeah. we're able to get that out super fast, which has been yeah a game changer in a lot of communities. Well, it's amazing to hear because like often you on the news or even on social media, all, all you tend to hear is bad news and you don't hear the great, <laughs> great amazing things are happening. Like no one talks about good news. Um, everyone just talks about bad news <laughs> yeah. and focuses on that. But it's, that's that's an amazing initiative. Um, so just, just to end on um, a, a couple of questions, really, um, just moving back towards the beer industry, where do you think the craft beer industry is heading? And he says about focusing on good news and then, you know, talking about um, the craft beer and, and especially in light of stories surrounding sexism and toxic work cultures, things that are shaking the industry at the moment. Like mm. just, just um, I mean, I'm sure you're aware of it in the USA, everything that's been said about certain brews and stuff over there, but wh where do you see it all heading and how do you think that's going to pan out? Sure. You know, I, I think there's, I think there's good news in everything. I think I'm an, op an optimist in this, but I think in the current movement, you know, you talk about a lot of things that are changing and toxic workplaces are kind of coming coming out into the open and people are talking about things that that they need to talk about. And we're learning to to listen um, and to understand what what is going to make people happy and what is going to make employees 
satisfied and um, feel that they're able to contribute to their companies. And, and I think it's all going in the right direction. I think the craft beer industry is, is having a reckoning right now, just like it had um, with diversity as well. And it's something that's going to take a long time to, to really grow and develop. But, you know, once, once breweries and, and companies in any industry start to understand uh, how to be more open and get more breadth and get more diversity. They have stronger groups of employees who are happy and they're motivated. And what you're always getting to get out of that is better innovation, happier, you know, better products, happier consumers, and really getting everything out that's that's going to make you a, a better company and a better industry. So I, I really think this is going in a great place. Um, craft beer continues to grow, and we get more and more consumers. And there has to be, you know, reckonings and changing and. Um, as, as it continues to grow. So you got to go through some rough spots and I, and I don't mean to make light of anyone's situation. There's been some pretty tough stories that have gone around, but I think, as I said, you know, if we can all listen and learn from this and, and grow from it, it, it really does go to a better place with just more and stronger. Yeah. And I guess the final question, just from an American brewing perspective. So I don't know what the, the latest stats are, but um, pre COVID, what was it about 7,000? craft brewers in the usa or it's some, something like that or eight thousand or something we were like, pushing eight thousand, yeah okay i mean what, what is is that slowed down or are people still looking to start breweries in the states or are people closing what's what's happening in the usa at the moment yeah i, I really need to up my numbers on exactly what's happening right now but i can tell you that in california the number of open outpaced the numbers of closings. You know, all of us said that the number of breweries closing was going to be astronomical and it was going to crush, you know, a third of the breweries in America. And there's absolutely been challenges, but it's still very much growing. There's still new breweries popping up every day. Um, so I, I don't see it slowing down. I think you're going to get more and more and more breweries and it's going to rotate, you know, some will stick with it and some won't. Um, but I, I do think you're going to continue to see it going up. And I, you know, I, I'm pretty sure it's the same in the UK. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of craft brewers in the UK and it, it does seem to be still growing. Um, you know, if I can continue that conversation as well, internationally, craft beer is here to stay, man. I mean, it's, it's literally across the world. Local craft brewers are popping up everywhere. Mm. Um, it used to be that, you know, we could come in with an American beer and everybody would be American craft beer. Yay. Um, and now it's, well, we've got a lot of craft beers here. So what do you have that's unique? What do you have that's different? And like I said before, I think that's a great conversation. So I'm glad to see more and more local craft breweries popping up in Japan, China, New Zealand, Australia, you name it. I mean, really just anywhere and everywhere, um, seems to be having more and more breweries pop up. So I, I think it's, just going to continue to grow. I think total beer consumption and total alcohol consumption doesn't seem to be growing and changing that much. We're just stepping up the quality and, and uh, the diversity of what we want to drink. Yeah. What What do you think the allure and the pull is to people coming into the beer industry now? That's a great, great question. You know, I, I think it's, it's a number of different things. I, I can't help. So, okay. Every day my brain is in like 12, 14 different countries. So I, I'm, uh, yeah. <laughs> I can tell you it's very different in every country. There's a lot of places that, that, um, beer is their, their father's drink, their mother's drink. And, you know, it's something that they're, they're sort of railing against. They don't want to have lagers. They want to have something new and exciting. And a lot of that is, you know, berry forward smoothie sours and, you know, triple hazy cans 16 ounce cans and, and these sort of getting them excited, not to mention the collaborations with music groups and the awesome labels with artists on them and all this stuff. These sort of uh, boundary pushing things are, are bringing people in when they have had a tradition of beer. Um, when you look at places like 
um, for example, China or um, Japan or a lot of places where beer has been a lot of the, some, you know, a lot of them have had beer for a long time, but a lot of them haven't really had access to that beer at all. So beer is still just very much a new thing. Um, and even there, you'll see a lot of, you know, even just, I don't know, normal beers, uh, 12 months cans of American IPA is now like a normal beer, but um, you know, just having beer as opposed to whatever it may be um, your traditional alcohol has been in France, you know, it's, always been a wine country forever. And you really see the tides changing on that. Um, and people are very much coming around to beer because it's different. Yeah. Amazing. Brill. Well, thanks for being on the show, Jesse. It's, it's been great chat to you. How can people find out more about Canarchy and Candade and possibly connect with you? Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, please visit us at Canarchy, C-A-N-A-R-C-H-Y dot beer not .com, .beer, so canarchy.beer. More importantly, please Google, you know, Oscar Blues, check out Cigar City. Um, and if you want to reach out to me directly, I'm at jk at canarchy.beer. Um, and thank you very much for having me on. This has been a fantastic experience. Appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes, and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing, and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers, and for another week, cheers. Cheers.